Welcome to the Agricultural Economics Department. This is your host, Jessica Eyes, and I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Ken Foster, head of the Department of Agricultural Economics here at Purdue University. How are you, Ken? I'm doing well, Jessica. How are you? I'm doing excellent. Hey, isn't this yes. uh, beautiful weather we're having for February? It is beautiful. Believe it or not, folks, I've been watching bald eagles flying outside my office on the sixth floor of the Craner Building at Purdue University. Oh, and your window has such a good view. It's so incredible, yeah. I can yeah. see all the way to Hubby Hall. So joining us is a new faculty member, Dr. Russ Hillberry. Russ, how's your office view? It's pretty good. It's just one <laughs> floor below Ken. So. Oh, yeah, that's right. You have the same Keep an eye out for those eagles, man. <laughs> They're out there. So Russ is joining us to discuss the World Trade Organization's Trade Facilitation Agreement of 2013. And now we say 2013. 2013. <laughs> Okay. It has more relevance than you might think. Russ, can you tell us a little bit about this agreement? Okay, so the reason we're talking about a 2013 agreement now is that it's just about to be ratified. So the agreement came into place in 2013, but then it had to go out to all the member countries for ratification, and it wouldn't be ratified until two-thirds of the member countries actually acted on it, and that hasn't quite happened yet, but it's probably going to happen very soon. Who are the member countries? Most countries in the world. It's sort of easier to think about the countries that are not. So, oh, you know, wow. North Korea, I'm not sure that all of the stands in Central Asia are in yet. You know, I don't think Belarus is in Cuba, but basically everybody else. What is this trade facilitation agreement? Well, let's break that into two parts. So the agreement is all of these countries that are members of the World Trade Organization came together and decided that this was something that they were all going to do or try to do. Trade facilitation is a practice of trying to arrange the trade procedures, the paperwork, the inspections, everything else that happens at borders. One thing that should happen is to try and make the goods move more smoothly and efficiently across borders at lower costs to the trading firms. Hopefully another Another thing that happens when you do trade facilitation is that the enforcement of whatever rules or regulations are being applied at the border is at least as good, if not better, than it was before. And then in developing country settings, what you also would like to see happen is that they're able to collect at least as much tariff revenue or, or more than they were before because many developing countries rely a lot on tariff revenue for their public finances. So it's kind of getting products out of the black market or clandestine? Well, it's more that things are coming across the border, but they're doing so slowly because the oh, government okay. is not very well organized. And so there are pictures... You can find them on the internet, or if you went to Africa, you could live it, where there are trucks backed up for kilometers or a long way anyway, and it can happen that sometimes they're sitting there for days. So that makes it very hard for trading firms to decide to trade any product that is time-sensitive or going to just degrade over time. And it's also costly, especially for small traders. They might have a lot of their working capital sitting in the back of that truck, and so if it isn't getting across the border because the border procedures are not very well organized, then that's a problem. Is yeah. it normal for something like this to take four years to get ratified? Well, it's not even ratified yet, so it could extend so, to even five. So perhaps. an agreement itself is not very normal. So the last agreement was in 1994. So these things are very infrequent these days. And you can imagine getting all the countries in the world to agree to something is not the easiest thing to do. So they send all their trade representatives to a room and they sort of hammer out an agreement, but then getting the politicians back home to sign up for it takes time. What impacts will that have once this is put into place?
The U.S. procedures are generally pretty good. There are some things that they're still working on. They're always kind of working to try and make the border environment a little more efficient and more effective and that sort of thing. So a lot of this is going to be happening in developing countries. So if you want to think about how this affects the United States, you might think more about U.S. exports to developing countries. Sometimes that'll be food and agricultural products, so that can matter in that way. But another thing is that a lot of the good share of the U.S. aid money that goes overseas is linked to trade. So this is something that as a country we're trying to help developing countries. The cynical reason for that might be that we have exporters that want to yeah. sell more. Exactly. <laughs> sure. yeah. we're, not it, we're not doing it for unselfish motives. Yes. Right? So if you're yeah. a food manufacturer or a producer of raw products here in the U.S., you might see a little bit higher prices. Some of the savings from this trade facilitation might come back. One thing would be there would be goods that you wouldn't normally be able to trade, especially okay. time-sensitive goods. The really time-sensitive things are like fresh fruits and vegetables and animals, but the less meat and other things are also time sensitive so all of those things might matter it's not really the agreement but the implementation of the agreement if that all goes well then you might see less corruption overseas so you might also be able to sell wheat more effectively who knows but the idea is to kind of make those border environments largely in developing countries work a little better and then that should make it sort of better for consumers in those countries and for producers in the rest of the world when do you think we might see the actual ratification yes i don't know which countries are about to ratify and what their political situation is, so I, I couldn't tell you exactly, but I, I would guess that it's coming quite soon. We've got something like, well, well over 100 countries have ratified and we need two more. So in three or four years, 100 countries ratified, so we need Two more, Just so. two more. Okay. Where does the U.S. stand on this? Have we ratified? So, yeah, we ratified, and uh, there's quite a lot of feeling that uh, everybody else should get their act together and, and ratify. And to be clear, this is different than the kinds of trade agreement talk we've been listening to in the political realm lately, where there's been talk of renegotiating things like NAFTA, and that this is more about trade procedures as opposed to actual trade in agreements to trade goods or lower tariffs between each other. Exactly. So one of the ways this agreement is different than a lot of earlier agreements is it doesn't have much to do with tariffs. It's much more about these procedures. It's also an agreement in which the developed countries didn't have to commit to much. They already had pretty well organized borders, and so that this is basically a, a situation where the world has agreed that the developing countries will take on this effort of improving their borders and what the developed countries will provide is some expertise and some funds to sort of help that happen. But I don't think it's really on the radar in the United States very much because it isn't something that is causing much to change here in the United States. Will other industries apart from agriculture see benefits from this? Yeah, so I think another type of industry that w really feels that this would be beneficial are industries that have production in many locations and move goods across borders. And sometimes, say, the Apple iPhone has all these components, and it involves, I don't know, sand from Indonesia and computer chips from Malaysia, and those are assembled in, in China. So these goods are moving across multiple borders. And so having a kind of consistent set of rules and procedures across countries is something that is seen as beneficial by those types of firms. And then I guess another thing is that one thing that these procedures should do is focus attention on the trade that is more risky. So more inspections on the risky trade and less inspections on the less risky trade. So big companies like Apple or GE 
IBM, they're moving goods all over the world all the time. They don't want to risk getting a bad reputation by including some drugs in with the auto parts or something. So if these procedures are organized that way, we can kind of expect the firms that have a reputation for dealing honestly with the border officials to get less inspections. And so those kind of firms might see it as beneficial that they'd have to do less of that. So Russia said this is not the first time that the world has ventured into this. In 1994, there was a similar sort of agreement. What Sorry. transpired out of that? Do we have any evidence of what? Uh, yeah, so the 1994 agreement is called the Uruguay Round. That was the agreement that created the World Trade Organization. So that's kind of one notable outcome of that agreement. Another thing that happened in the Uruguay Round was that there used to be a lot of quotas on textiles and apparel, and those came off. It was sort of a 10-year window from the agreement to when they came off. They came off in 2004, and suddenly, this was visible to the average person if they knew what to look for, the price of t-shirts fell, for example. Right after the agreement fully came into force, yeah. 10 years after it was yeah. agreed to, right? So anyway, that was a very different agreement. The, the thing that was controversial about the Uruguay Round, the most controversial, was an agreement on intellectual property rights. And so that was something that the developed countries were pushing developing countries had to put a lot of work into overhauling their intellectual property regimes and things like this. So this was kind of a big controversial issue that the developing countries had bore the burden of doing a lot of the transition of that agreement. And so one reason that it's been so long between agreements is that the developing countries have wanted this round to be beneficial for them. And in the end, it kind of worked out a little bit like the Uruguay round in that the main issue was this trade facilitation and the governments that are going to have to do the work are the developing country <laughs> governments. So it didn't really work out that way, but I think that's one reason that this agreement is a little different. So it sort of lets countries decide which parts of the agreement they're going to implement over what period of time and under what conditions they're going to implement them. So it's not quite as uniform what is expected and over what time horizon. So developing countries that are already have pretty good environments might just be signing up for a few more things. But countries that really have a lot of work to do, they have three bins that they can do. They can say, here's stuff we'll do and we'll have done one year after ratification. Here's stuff that we want a, an extended timeline and we'll do that over time. And then here's a third bin, which is we need some financial and technical expertise in order to implement this, and we will not be held responsible until we get that kind of help. That's good. That's smart. Well, Russ, thank you so much for joining us to discuss this trade facilitation agreement of 2013, soon to reach ratification. We really appreciate it. Again, for those who are listening, this is Dr. Russ Hilberry, who is a faculty member here at the Department of Agricultural Economics at Purdue University. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. You can go ahead and follow us on Twitter or like us on Facebook or check us out on the web at www.agecon.purdue.edu. Thank you.